0: This is one that I've written down as as an important one forever, which is, you know, starting your first business, if you have limited capital, you know, if you can't go out and hire tons of people or spend a million dollars on marketing or whatever, you've got to get really, really focused. What is it that we do? And what's our little niche that we can specialize in? I'm talking, you know, I'm talking business to business here, right?
1: Welcome! You're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. In our last episode, we talked to Gabriela Arcadu about her work with NGOs, helping countries like Iraq, Angola, and Kosovo transition from war to peace. Gabriela shares some incredible stories from her work on the field. And she told us about the lessons that she gathered from her experience working with people in very different contexts and, and very different backgrounds. You know, and, and we're really talking about working with soldiers who have just finished fighting a civil war, for example, or working with uh, the Electoral Commission for Iraq. As I said, she told us about how all those lessons inspired her vision for leadership and how she uses that experience now to train Um, people in very different contexts. Now Gabriela, like most of the guests in our previous episode, has decades of experience. In the next two episodes we're gonna go a little more into the trenches. I'm excited to feature two young entrepreneurs who started building their businesses just a few years ago. Both of them have chosen businesses that are a little more niche but very interesting. Both of these businesses have a strong foundation in creativity And finally, both of these entrepreneurs share a similar trait. They have a strong drive to succeed, and they have a deep passion for the work that they do. So today, we have our first guest, Matt Wigler. Matt is a musician, um, a piano player to be exact. And while he was making a living as a musician, he saw an untapped opportunity. So he started AMHW Live, a business that helps luxury hotels and resorts book musical entertainment. And recently, he started a second business, Wiggler Group, a company that helps service businesses build a consistent sales pipeline. In our conversation, we talked about his journey, the lessons he learned along the way, and the similarities between running a band and making music, and actually running a team. So enjoy this episode, and don't forget to tune in in a couple of weeks, when we're going to talk to Vikran Sharia. Who is going to tell us about his business, where he helps authors write and self-publish books and actually publish them as bestsellers? Let's start. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, so that our listeners can get to know you? Sure. So I'm originally
0: from Baltimore, Maryland. I started my sort of first career as a basically as a kid playing music professionally in the Washington DC area. I played a lot of big venues and did a little bit of touring with jazz and blues groups. And so that brought me down here to Miami where I am now you know, permanently based. Uh, I came down here to go to University of Miami which has a great music school and ended up getting a, a music degree and also an MBA from University of Miami. So I started my first business about five years ago, there was an interesting combination of things that I had seen playing music professionally at a lot of luxury hotels and you know country clubs and things like that. Basically, this company that I started five years ago is called MHW Live Music, and we provide the entertainment programming for, as of this moment, it's for about 60 hotels nationwide. If you imagine that you you walk into a hotel, there's maybe people playing in the lobby, in the restaurant, and the bars, that sort of entertainment, musicians and DJs. And we're doing that, you know, like I said, nationwide in the luxury hotel market, something that, believe it or not, nobody had ever thought to do that all around the country and try to capture that whole market. And um, up until we came along, generally the hotel managers were dealing with, you know, a big hodgepodge of independent artists and doing it themselves. And so, you know, I'm happy to see that we're solving that problem for them. And uh, basically, I started a second business a year ago in the throes of the pandemic lockdown. Um, On March 15th last year, all the hotels shut down. So we were growing. We had clients going. And then from one day to the next, we went to zero for the shutdowns and i had developed kind of a you know a pretty efficient business to business sales process sales development kind of process for for that mhw live music business and so i thought rather than you know let the people go that i had working on that let's see if we can spin that out into a into another business with the hypothesis that lots of companies would like to achieve this consistent flow of sales meetings and don't necessarily have the internal staff basically sales development representatives making a lot of cold calls doing all those activities in-house and maybe they'd like to outsource it to us to do it fractionally and so that hypothesis has proven correct and now that business is is also growing very quickly and so that basically brings us to today now i've got two Kind of, you know, two growing businesses on my hands and, uh, you know, having a lot of fun.
1: And how many people are working on your businesses right now? How large is your team?
0: So Wiggler Group, which is the sales appointment setting business, has a team of 20. And MHW Live Music has seven of us that work in the management of the business and a network of thousands of musicians and DJs that are Independent contractors that we send out to the different hotel clients.
1: So it's interesting. So you go down to Miami to, you know, to become a musician at one of. I think universities of Miami is actually one of the best, especially for jazz music schools. Yeah, the Frost School of Music. How did you make the transition? What What was the spark that led you to start the business? Well, I had this idea.
0: I remember when I first moved down here, and I I play piano and I sing and, you know, do kind of a, you know, jazz based, but kind of a variety of different music. And so that's something which is relatively unique or something which is marketable for these type of, you know, hospitality, country clubs and hotels and that sort of thing, piano player that sings. So when I moved down here, I met some very good musicians who told me, oh, we've got a an opportunity for you to come and play a steady gig. It was a very fancy country club where we played for a couple of years every Saturday. And what I noticed was they had a a big program of entertainment. And so I just did the math. And I said, well, I know how much they're paying me. I know how many musicians play there every week. There's a budget here. And it was being run by a very nice lady who was doing a good job managing the program, but she didn't do it as a business. She would send me, you know, handwritten checks out of her personal bank account in the mail. And I thought, you know, this must be a problem that lots of places like this that have a budget, you know, the the managers at these venues don't know the musicians. They don't want to do it themselves because they have other priorities to take care of. And there doesn't seem to be anyone that is professionalizing this service and trying to capture a lot of that market. And um so that was the original spark, right? Was I can see this need here and I couldn't find anyone that was doing it at a little bit larger of, of a scale as their main their main business.
1: Obviously there's a balance between being a musician and a businessman. What are your passions in the two sides? You know, what is exciting to you about business and what's exciting about music?
0: Well, what you know, one of the interesting parallels here is that I think what's exciting to me is very similar across both of these disciplines. So what I have figured out that I really like, that I really get a lot of fulfillment from is bringing together a group of people and aligning those people to a mission or some kind of goal that we're going to move towards together and then you know, celebrating our accomplishments along the way and engendering leadership in other people along the way. That, you know, may not be that obvious of a connection between what, what, you know, playing in a band versus running a business. But in fact, there's there's a lot of, of parallels. I mean, the thing that I like personally about going out with, if I'm gonna put together my own band and we're gonna give a concert, I like to put together a band that's so good. Each person in the band has a a role to play. And I like to, you know, who's the best person I can put in those roles, not just individually, but as they're going to collaborate together as a team, such that if it's working properly, I don't even have to play the piano and the band sounds great without me, right? And I get a lot of satisfaction out of putting that sort of thing together and seeing it come to life. And so, you know... If I interchange the word "band" with business you it would be the same it'd be the same principle
1: that is, that's very true. I've played in bands myself, and there are different roles that are not just within the instrument like I was always the the bass player and often not the most musically talented in the band, but you know I had a role in like marketing the bands and keeping the bands together and maybe sometimes mediating the conversations between the talent. <laughs> if you will. Right. I think that's a, a great parallel. So you found the opportunity, um, going back to the to earlier, starting your first business from scratch with a limited experience, I take it, before in business. What, what were some of the key moments when you learned practical lessons that started shaping your approach to leading your team?
0: So there's a big principle that I learned, which took... Uh... So it took about three years of screwing it up before I figured this one out, but it's now carried through to the second business. And this is one that I, I've written down as, as an important one forever, which is, you know, starting your first business, if you have limited capital, you know, if you can't go out and hire tons of people or spend a million dollars on marketing or whatever, you've got to get really, really focused. What is it that we do and what's our little niche that we can specialize in? You know, I'm talking business to business here, right? We had uh, all these different hypotheses when we started about what we could do. And you'll recognize this right away from, you know, maybe musicians that you know that a lot of people think this way. We could book entertainment for weddings. We could book entertainment for corporate events. We could book entertainment for this and that and the other thing. But each of those different types of customers and their expectations and how to provide good service to them is a little bit different. And if you're just a couple of people, you know, you can drown in all that opportunity. Theoretically, yes, we could do all those things. But what's the original mission or the original hypothesis that we have? And how and, you know, have we tested enough to say, yes, this is a market that we can capture? And so we got the answer after a couple of years. We said, yes, this is something which is a theme across the whole industry. And we're in a unique position that nobody else is doing it. That's a great opportunity. And stay focused. I mean, it's like you're going down like Odysseus, right? And there's the sirens on the shore. And in my case, the sirens were, can you book entertainment for my wedding reception? Right? And those booking agencies are all over the place. Tons of competition tons. And every time it would happen, sometimes we get a little bit distracted and we go that way. And then I'd have to reel it back in. I'd say, no, let's stay focused on the mission that we set out to do because we've got this niche that we've carved up. And so that principle I think is very important for people that are going to start a, a new business. You know, there is there are many ways to skin the cat, but that also means you could kind of drown in the opportunities if you don't keep yourself you know, focused, especially on the, in the beginning with limited resources.
1: Yeah. That is actually a very, very common mistake that entrepreneurs sometimes make. They start out, they have an idea and then there's an easy opportunity to follow that is not core and they start losing focus as they go along. In terms of building your team, you said you have a team of about seven in the, on the music side. What were you looking for in your team members and, you know, what were some of the traits that you look in people that are leading under you?
0: You know, one of the things that's a first step is just defining what are the, what are the roles and what, uh, what are the job descriptions for each of these roles. And what we figured out is that there's basically a customer facing role, which is, you know, kind of managing the accounts, that sort of thing and then there's some internal operation stuff you know we've got people that recruit musicians we get all these requests from different regions of the country and we're adding people to our directory and then we've got you know another role which is very you know logistical you know actually booking and paperwork and scheduling and all that kind of stuff and then we have you know so we have sales that are that are calling all the time but basically what i have seen so far and, you know, you know, we're in the beginning of this journey, right? I mean, if, if we come back together five years from now, you know, hopefully we'll have 70 people, right? So, but I think the roles are defined in such a way that now, you know, we could multiply this times five or 10 or 20 or whatever, because having those roles defined and then saying, okay, now we have clear, sort of a clear framework for people to work within we're not just saying, come work for us. We're a startup and, you know, we don't know what you're going to do. Then it was obvious each point so far that we had to make a hire. Okay, it's obvious there's a, a pressure point that we've come up against. For example, we've got way too much, you know, interest coming, way too many requests coming in. We can't fill those requests because we can't recruit enough talent. So, therefore, we got to hire a recruiter. And, you know, this kind of another principle that I've seen so far in doing these businesses with, you know, without venture capital investment, right, with just, you know, bootstrapping them is lead with the sales and let the sales dictate at what point am I going to hit this, you know, threshold? Okay, we've reached our capacity. Now we've got to make a hire to fill our orders rather than the other way around.
1: Yeah, that's and in terms of like, as you think about, how you manage your team, what are some of the principles that you follow in managing your team from a cultural standpoint?
0: The biggest one is what a lot of people talk about, integrity with the definition being doing what you say you're gonna do and doing it on time. That's for internal communication, that's for client communication. And you get people into this habit of an email comes in, You got to respond to it right away. And what happens? I mean, there's so many people out there who are not used to receiving a fast response to a communication or a call back right away or an email back right away. And if you become one of those people that is known for doing that, the trust level with all the parties involved goes way up. I mean, it's like you're training the environment around you to see you as a person where if i if i email dino i know he's going to get back to me and in fact that's pretty unusual out in the world so so that's a big one is that sort of integrity you know when we say we're going to do something by a certain time are we doing it and having that you know really really effective and transparent communication too right and you know everybody's working remotely so i think it's even more important to do that when everybody's working remotely because we, you know, I don't physically see them sitting next to me in the office. So it even brings a, a higher level of necessity, I think, to just have the confidence that people are doing what they're supposed to be
1: doing. Yeah, I, it's interesting. You're mentioning trust. Obviously, building trust is one of the most important things. And even in uh, in, your, you know, in your relationships with your clients, was there any episode or crisis that you know, you're faced with a client or that comes to mind as a moment where you had like a crucial opportunity to build trust?
0: I mean, what I see as the trust building process is like what I was just saying, especially in the very beginning of any relationship, when you first hire someone, maybe it's the first 90 days, something like that. You have a new client, that first period, you better do it the way that you said you were going to do it, at least the first one, two, three, four times in a row. Then, you know, the fifth time, oh, accidentally, we were 15 minutes late. Okay. Like, I remember one of the first clients that we got, we got this hotel in Miami Beach, very fancy, five-star hotel, and we were all excited, you know, and we had a performer that showed up an hour late, you know, messed up her calendar or something like that. And... You know, to our surprise, there was—I uh, guess there was somebody very important there that day. And anyway, it turned into a big, turned into a big issue, which I remember—one of our very first ever bookings that we that we had gotten. But then it really drives home this point: like, okay, what are we going to do about it? This is another principle, right? Okay, it's fine to make any mistake. So I think I get this from Ray Dalio. I like his principles book. You know, you can make a mistake once, but you can't just let it slide and not examine it and break it down. Well, what happened? Why did that person show up an hour late? And what, it, what can we put into place for the next time so that it doesn't happen again? And it's those incremental improvements that you know, every time we make a mistake, there's this amazing opportunity to put in place an incremental improvement. You stack those up little by little over a long period of time, and you have something really amazing.
1: Yeah, I'm curious. There's obviously the improvement on the performance side, but also the communication with the client. How did you handle the crises with the, you know, in the episode that you mentioned with the hotel?
0: Well, you know, the unique thing about this business, about MHW Live Music, is that we are totally hotel hospitality centric, totally on the side of the hotel as the client. Whatever it takes to keep that relationship on track, and you know. It's just not Billy Joel playing a million dollar concert. So generally the the level of anxiety, you know, somebody's an hour late 0.01% of the time. It's usually not a problem. You know, everybody understands things happen. People have car accidents, whatever. But the point is that being hospitality centric and hotel focused in terms of our client relationships, that's, what's important. If it costs us a little bit, in the short term, hey, we'll send you another free performance next week. Whatever, doesn't matter because these relationships are long term. I mean, we've had almost 100% retention of our clients since we started. Even people that you know were with us before COVID and then restarted, uh, you know, in the past six or eight months in the reopening. So the takeaway there for me is, and this is very related to what I was saying before about. Choosing your niche and really get really staying focused and staying on that track. If you if you stay focused and stay on that track, then you can align your customer service standards, how you deal with your clients in such a way that it really works within their industry, their expectations. We use their jargon and their lingo and the way that they describe things. You know, we don't use music jargon. We use hotel language to describe what it is that they're looking for. Very unique because, you know, our competitors are generally very much in the music entertainment business. And if you ask me, I say, we have professional musicians working at the company, but we are totally in the hospitality business.
1: Interesting. You know, I was thinking about all these musicians and obviously how you committed to this industry. And then you mentioned earlier, you had to do a hard pivot when the pandemic hit take me a little bit to sort of like those early days when you realized that this business was probably going to you know disappear for a little bit how was that process with your team and how did the ideation process start
0: everything shut down march 15th no i mean you remember this was this was only a few months ago we had no idea what was going to happen right and the genesis of this new Wigwit group business. And it's it's a totally separate, you know, business now. Now they're both running independently of each other. Was I just said, I think I've learned a few things about business to business selling and can I go out and at least in the meantime, while we're waiting for the hotels to reopen, maybe I can get some consulting contracts or something like that. So I remember I went out and I found these guys that had developed a software product and they were trying to sell it into the hospitality market. So I called them up and I said, okay, well, I have this other business, which is kind of in hibernation for a while because it's entertainment related, but I know a lot of, I have a lot of hotel contacts. And so anyway, so they gave me this consulting contract, which, you know, allowed me to basically take some of the money and hire my first employee to help me go out and look for, New clients and so on and so forth. The theory being that so many people have this problem. You know, how do I build a long-term pipeline of qualified sales opportunities? There's a lot of people that I see that employ, you know, commission salespeople or something like that. And the commission salespeople, I mean, there's a big distinction that we've realized that. I mean, a lot of business owners and a lot of people that we've talked to don't necessarily see this until we kind of point it out. And I say, oh, yeah, you know, that's a good point. There's prospecting and building a pipeline, which is lots of kind of activity targeted at the right place and following up and phone calls and emails, all that kind of it's basically marketing, right? And then there's, I'm going to get onto a zoom meeting or I'm going to go and fly out to your office and get, and have, you know, give you a presentation, take you out to dinner. You know, there's like that type of selling, which is later stage where you're really getting into the sales process. And then there's just the prospecting activity. And I think what a lot of people haven't realized is that the skill sets and the type of people that you hire for those activities are very distinct. So if you hire someone who wants to take the client out to play golf, and expect them to sit at home and make 200 cold calls a day, that's not the right alignment. And vice versa, it would be the you know the same situation. So we've seen a lot of clients now. The the niche that we are specializing in for Wiggly Group is marketing agencies, media, advertising, and we've seen a lot of these agencies. They'll employ salespeople, and they tend to be more of the taking people out to the golf course. Type salespeople and not the prospecting, building a pipeline, and then they come up and say, "Well, I don't have any leads that I can, you know, work because there wasn't any engine of business development happening to produce those opportunities."
1: How do you balance the two businesses now?
0: You know, my feeling is there's there's always enough time in the day if you first if you really love what you're doing, and second if you can, you know, part of this integrity principle that we were talking about is it has a Tie over into time management, right? And it has a tie over into, you know, delegation and engendering leadership and other people. So each of these businesses, I brought in a chief operating officer as a like as a co-founder. So each business has a has a co-founder, chief operating officer that's running most of the day-to-day kind of stuff, and that's been great because you know each of them has taken on the leadership of large percentage of the business operations so far. And it's really nice not to be going it completely alone too. I mean, it's, it's also part of this, you know, we get the camaraderie and we're, and we're building it together. And that also just, you know, relieved some of the pressure for me to be doing everything myself. You know, my feeling is it's like I was saying with the, with the band. I mean, if I can set these businesses up, to where even if you know I wasn't around for a while, they would still be running. That's the way I want to have them. And you know, the complication will get more and more as we scale them up, right? But um, but that that's the road that we're on.
1: So you pick up two co-founders. So a co-founder is a very different relationship than an employee. So what do you look for in a co-founder?
0: Both of these businesses, you know, these were people that I was already friendly with it, you know, that I knew we all went to college together. You're starting a brand new business without a big venture capital investment. The people that will trust you enough to go along for the ride for relatively, you know, lower salary than what they may be able to get at, you know, a big company, it's a lot easier if it's people that you already know. You already have a trust level. I don't think you could quite so easily put out an advertisement on Indeed.
1: And the interview,
0: you know, is, oh, come over to my, you know, my house, and and I'll make you a co-founder of the. Business. It's just, you know, maybe some people can do that, but you know, basically, I'm looking for do they do we share the same core values, the same kind of principles, you know, high level of ethics, and we want to do the right thing, and do we have the same kind of vision for where we want to go, and can we create that alignment, and then, you know, all of us being quite young, I mean, we are. Developing these leadership skills as we go with lots of great advice and mentorship from people around us and all that and um so it's been great so far, but it was definitely you know I was looking for okay, who do I know that I already have an existing level of trust that I think would be interested in taking this journey with me, and hopefully this is you know i mean this could be a lifelong journey these businesses you know, I don't know if we're going to grow them forever, if we're going to sell them, or we don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, we could be doing this together for the next 20, 30 years. So, you know, who do I think would be interested in taking that journey with me? And there were some people that I reached out to and kind of threw the idea out there who totally weren't interested. And that was for the best because, you know, the team that we've put together is is really great and, you know, very motivated.
1: Great. So, you know, if you think about the journey that you've had so far and you had like two or three, you know, pieces of advice that you have for a listener, somebody who may be thinking about getting on a journey to start their own business. And, you know, what I really like about your businesses is that these are not the popular glamorous businesses that, you know, this is not the the high tech startup. So somebody who has like a passion. Like you and is looking to start their own business what are two or three pieces of advice that you would have for that
0: well you've said one already which is you don't have to start a unicorn app business i don't think the majority of people that set out to do that you know have a high chance of success you see them in the newspaper and you think wow that's like amazing but that's just a little tiny 0.1% or whatever of people that are setting out to do that So my feeling is, can you provide some kind of service to a particular niche market that solves a problem? And if you've got some idea there for, how, you know, oh, yeah, I I can provide the service. And by the way, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, unique in the sense that nobody else in the world is doing it. I think that's another misconception. If you can provide something which people need, which there is a market for, and you can Provided in a way that the customers are satisfied, then you're going to make money if you just do that over and over again, right? So, you know, the biggest advice, I think, for people that are on the fence about should I start or should I not is you got to just do it because the journey takes a very long time to go from day one to then some intermediate point, which is where I would describe us right now, which is we are. You know, we're paying ourselves enough that we live okay, but we're not, you know, totally, you know, we're not fabulously rich yet. But, you know, we may get there, but it may take 10 or 15 or 20 years. You know, it may take a really long time. And so you don't want to wait 10 years and then have to start that journey then when you could start it now. I mean, the way that I see a lot of these businesses not the unicorn apps that raise a billion dollars in six months and the, you know, if you know how to do that, then you're ahead of me, right? But if you just wanna start like a, an old fashioned business where you provide a good service and sca- build it over time, it's like laying bricks on a house, right? I mean, you're not gonna build a big skyscraper in six months, it takes a long time. You gotta draw the plans, you gotta lay the foundation, you gotta, you know, do each step. And so my feeling is, yeah, you got to get out there and start and don't spend too much time planning and thinking and, you know, the fastest way to understand whether you're on the right track is to go out and sell it, sell it to a a customer. And then you're really in it, right? Like once you've sold it to a customer and you've got somebody that's paying you, that's expecting a certain type of of service, that's when you're really going to learn very quickly you know what the market wants and how to improve the the service
1: that you're offering that's fabulous i'm going to shift to the more personal side now, obviously, your passion music has informed your business a lot already, but is there any other passion or hobby that you have outside of music and the and your businesses and how has it informed your work?
0: Yeah, music being the first big one, and then I had a um, starting when I was in high school i got very interested in learning languages and i became fluent in spanish the same way that i learned how to play the piano with you know i just i practiced every day and i had some, i found some good people that were native spanish speakers that became my friends that we would just hang out together and i would practice 2 3 hours a day over a long period of time, that's what I'm talking about, laying these bricks, eventually you get to a point where you say, oh, I can actually, you know, walk down the street in Mexico City and, you know, feel like I'm, a, you know, maybe not a local, but I feel like I'm really, I'm really there, you know, and that's been great in my life because I, my wife is from Bogota, Colombia, and, you know, if it weren't for me having learned that, you know, I'm not sure we would have developed the same you know, level of relationship you know, with her fa- with her extended family that doesn't speak English and all that. So that's kind of a passion as languages, linguistics. You know, I like tennis, I like golf. All of these things to me are are you know they're like these lifelong pursuits that you're never so perfectly good at, but you just keep going back and trying to get these little incremental improvements. Golf being the most difficult one that everybody's frustrated about, but we have fun out there.
1: (laughs) Good. I I see a common theme there of this like layering brick improvements. Another question is a question I like to ask all my guests. Is there a jargon expression or a business cliche that drives you crazy?
0: There's a thing that people do in business, not just in business, but everywhere, which is people like to create these acronyms for things. And that's okay if you're in an industry where you're 100% sure that everybody knows what it means, like everybody knows what HR means, like, okay, fine. But I was on a meeting with somebody the other day, and he was like a, he was a senior manager at a big company, he was trying to sell me something, right? And his job title was senior manager of, I don't want, if he listens to this, you know, let's call it XYZ, right, is an acronym. And I said to him, what does XYZ stand for? He says, to be honest with you, I don't know. <laughs> so I said, well, you know, I don't think I'm going to buy anything from you until you can at least tell me what your own job title means, right? I mean, it's like, but that happens all over the place, right? People hear this kind of jargony stuff or these abbreviations, these acronyms. And what happens is that the inherent meaning gets diminished, right? It's like my the Wiggly Group business the maybe the simplest way to describe it is that we have outsourced sales development representatives or business development representatives. And maybe if you're talking about it like if you go to a vice president of sales at a software company and you say SDR, then I'm pretty sure they're going to know what I mean by that. But if I say SDR to just any of the people that are our prospective clients like business owners, it's not a given that they understand what I mean by that acronym, what it stands for, and what I've seen is that a lot of people are too shy to ask because they're worried that it's going to make them look bad to say, "Stop. What does SDR stand for?" So I don't take the risk. I, I you know, I, I just spell it out because that can really screw up your communication when people are pretending to know what it is and then forgetting to look it up after the meeting. <laughs>
1: That's a great example. Final question. Is there a favorite? I call it, it's either you can pick either food for the body or food for the soul. So, food for the body is there a recipe or a drink that is really special to you, or food for the soul? Is there a piece of music, a book, a piece of art, you know, play or movie that really inspires you? No, that's a good question.
0: One of my favorite, you know, Jazz recordings, because I, you know, I really like Oscar Peterson, like a lot of piano players, right? well I remember I had a teacher when I was a really a little kid, and she gave me a copy of Oscar Peterson Night Train, this well, you know, probably his most one of his mo- most famous recordings, and I just remember, you know, listening to it over and over and over and over again, and going, you know, this is an interesting tie-in to focusing on one little niche, right? It's like listening to every part, how does it work together? And you, and the deeper you go, the more you uncover more and more artistry, more and more little interactions between this part and that part. And that I think is the beautiful thing about, you know, art, music, literature, all these things are like that. If, if you can really, you know, every time you go back and listen to it again or read it again or watch it again, you can, you know, maybe go one level deeper in terms of the, the way that the component pieces are interacting. And um, so that's one of my favorite music albums. To a lot of jazz musicians, that's like simple. That's very simple jazz. It's not modern or complicated. It doesn't have a lot of strange chord changes or anything like that. But that's what I like. It's like a blank, you know, the the type of, the way that I see this stuff is like, it's like a blank canvas and it allows the, the voices in the music to come through and, you know, take their paintbrush and boom, there it is on the blank canvas. And the next person comes in, boom, that's the way that I, that's kind of the way that I like it, probably because I can't multitask. You know, I like to just see, it's one thing at a time. But um, So that's a good one. I'm trying to think what else. You know, I like, like I said before, I like, um, I like Ray Dahlia's principles. That's something that I follow a lot of his, you know, content and his, his uh, articles that he puts out. So, but, you know, I think, yeah, a lot of it following kind of similar themes, right?
1: Yes. Well, Matt, it's been great having you here. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Dina, And good luck with your business.
0: I appreciate it
1: thank you for listening to this episode if you enjoyed it please leave a rating or review tell a friend actually tell a bunch of friends subscribe and post about it in social media if you like music as usually stick around because at the end of the episode we will have one more song by susan Katane, one of boston's best americana singer songwriters if you want to connect with matt You can find him at Spell spelled M-A-T-T-W-I-G-L-E-R.com. And also you can find him on LinkedIn at LinkedIn.com backslash in Matt Wiggler, M-A-T-T-W-I-G-L-E-R. You can find me online at AL4EP.com with the number four. And also you can email me at dino at al4ep.com. I am also on Twitter and Instagram at al4edp with the letter D at the end. And you can also find me on Facebook. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits by Fullcast. It was recorded remotely using squatcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, and arranged by my son, Nicholas Cattaneo, who also plays keyboards and drums with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. And now I'm going to leave you, as I promised, with the song by Susan Cattaneo. I chose for you a song with a beautiful melody and a sweet kind of like jazzy feel as an homage to Matt. Enjoy. Oh, wait, I almost forgot the title of the song. It's called Haunted Heart, which is also the title of the album where you can find it. So once again, enjoy.
2: i the-